You're listening to episode 282 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at the third season of the Netflix science fiction series, Travelers. And holidays are behind us, uh, at least for a few days until New Year's Eve. Do you guys do anything on New Year's Eve? Uh, we just have a couple people over. Um, I think, actually, my son, who is home from college, is going to invite some of his buddies over, so that should be interesting. All right, cool. So are these people from the neighborhood, so they don't have to drive or? Uh, yeah, pretty much, cool. yeah. All right, sounds good. And we're, we're taking keys from the, the college kids. So, All right, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, those uh, college kids can be a little sneaky. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am definitely assume. well, not assume. you know, like, I know, like you said, yeah. kids can generally find a way, so. Being proactive. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Well, um, you know, if you guys would like to be proactive with us with some feedback, comments, questions, you can hit us up at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com website. Leave a voicemail if you'd like to do it that way. Record your own audio clip. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch or consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. Uh, now, we mentioned last time that we've instituted a spoiler zone at the end of the episode for those of you that have finished the series. So we'll be uh, bringing that up again today. And, and as we said last week, as the season progresses and we get closer to the end, we'll probably throw more things out there. I, I don't really have anything I want to bring up tonight, but you know, maybe you do. So we'll see when we get yeah. there. Um. Now, last few weeks, tip of the week kind of sounds like it caught you by surprise, so I don't know if you've got one for tonight or not. I, I actually do. All right. Why don't you go yeah. first? Okay. Well, so last night, we went and saw Mary Poppins Returns. All right. And it was awesome. It was really, you know, I mean, that is uh, a movie that, you know, the original is, um, you know, a movie I absolutely loved ever since I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, so, and this was definitely a, you know, very much a throwback to it. I, I kind of think it's not unlike the relationship between the original star Wars movie and the force awakens, you know, where it's kind of like a lot of, it it follows in many ways, the same pattern as the original, but with different characters, different story, Emily Blunt, just absolutely amazing as, uh, Mary Poppins just hit it way out of the park. Um, Lin Manuel Miranda always great. He was awesome as a, a guy Jack, who's you know a street lawyer, so another working class guy that is kind of a pal of Mary Poppins. So just really great, really super enjoyable. Some awesome cameos here and there, and uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Right. And that's a difficult role because it is so iconic with Julie Andrews. Yeah, and you know, people like you that you know now you have young children and are letting them see that, but you've got in your mind, all right, Emily Blunt better be good be- yeah. because Julie Andrews was great. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Now mine is something I really never thought I would use as a tip of the week, but but here I am, and my only explanation is that I. I found myself with some time this week, and I'm not sure exactly how it happened, 
because between my reviews for Vikings, Van Helsing, uh, the podcast that we're doing, the podcast with Michael, uh, I'm usually scrambling to get my notes done, but I don't know. Somehow, I ended up rewatching Continuum. Now, okay. I'm fully aware that a lot of the listeners have already seen Continuum, but I think I'd be remiss if I just you know, operated under that assumption that, well, everybody's seen it because a lot of you guys probably haven't. And if you're Which in is Travelers, crazy if you haven't. Well, it, it is, but as you know, we've said many times, there's so much out there. It, yeah, it's difficult to keep up with everything. So if you're watching Travelers and you're into time travel shows, which obviously Travelers is, well, that's what Continuum's all about. And if you don't know the premise follows a group of people that start in 2077 and there are eight members of a terrorist organization called liberate that are about to be executed for a bombing that killed 20,000 people but they have a time travel device and and the idea is they're all in a circle and they're going to execute them together and their plan is to go back to 2071 and change the events that led to the corporate congress from seizing control of the government but they go back too far, end up in 2012, along with one CPS officer who was you know, uh, monitoring the execution. And here we are with uh, five or six terrorists and one CPS officer, all from the future. And it's just great. I, I forgot how good it was. This is really like the fifth or sixth time I've seen these episodes. So mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Continuum, it's on Netflix. Do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, All right. Well, speaking of checking out, we've got episode three entitled Protocol 3, written by Jason Whiting, who co-wrote 107 Protocol 5, 110 Catherine, 205 Jenny, and then he was the sole writer on 111 Marcy, 202 Protocol 4 and 211 Simon, directed by Andy Makita, and this is his 11th episode. As everybody knows, Protocol 3 is don't take a life, don't save a life. This episode, I don't want to say it sucked the life out of me, but dude, it just wasn't that good. It had a promising premise. I would say the kind of the, uh, call like the, the hangover. Um, wait, have you ever seen the hangover? Uh, no, okay. well, probably it's, it's never pro- will. Well, you sh- I, I, I would recommend the first one. It was very, very funny. The other two were awful, but you know, it's the idea that these guys, uh, wake up after a night out in Las Vegas and they had partied so much. They can't remember anything that happened, but their one friend is missing. So they have to go back and kind of reconstruct the previous night uh, by clues that they have on them. And, you know, they, they go to these places and they, uh, if you know, try to figure out what happened. They're, like they have like, a, there's a tiger in their bathroom and everything. So um, this is very much, I, you know, I, I think the, the writer here definitely has uh, seen the hangover and kind of used that format for this, uh, this episode here. Okay. And I understand that. And, and that certainly was compelling. And I, and I like the fact that we figure out pretty quickly 
what's going on here, and, and, and certainly the characters uh, voice their concerns that this isn't going to work. And you know, Marcy's like, no, it'll right. work. Let's just see it through. But for me, the payoff and what we're expected to accept really is just a little bit too much. And, and Fred brings up some of the weaknesses in his uh, feedback, and we'll probably end up mentioning a few of them as we go along, even before we get to the feedback. But, um, you know, in terms of a grade, and I'm just going to throw it out now. I mean, a lot of times we wait until the end of the discussion. At first, I thought, all right, I'm just going to go with a B. The acting is good. The, the series is good. And then I, the more I think about it as I'm going through my notes, wow, you know, B minus maybe. I, I, I can't see giving it a C. And and I don't know what kind of grade you were thinking about. Believe it or not, I was actually thinking a B minus. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, as always, maybe once we talk this out, maybe we'll change our minds. But uh, I don't think so, but we'll see. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the residual memories from consciousness transfer and the memory inhibitors. And that seems to be what Mac is experiencing at the beginning of this episode. Obviously, with him, it's the memories of the memory inhibitors, although we did see that episode last season or might have even been first season. I can't remember, you know, when he's uh, got the little residual memories of his host's life with Catherine. Right. So we've talked about the memory inhibitors and how much they actually inhibit. And then, of course, that comes up with Jeff and Catherine and David in season three. So, you know, I like that they address that at least a little bit. Yeah, that's nice. That's right. Yeah. Now, it, you know, this is, as you said, with, with your little description of the of the hangover, that it is a somewhat clever narrative device, but this isn't even close to the only time the team has broken this protocol. And right, it seems to me, on the one hand, that that we're focused on the breaking of protocol three and how it's okay because we saved this kid's life well how come this is okay but it wasn't okay to save grace's life at the time you did that now we know she got overwritten but right it it just seems like they're all getting too cavalier about breaking the protocols and maybe that's to be expected maybe the director had that factored in that I know you're going to break the rules, so that's factored in, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you kind of nailed it on the head there. The idea that, you know, as we talked about last week, is that the director being some kind of omniscient, you know, entity that has basically all the angles covered, which Trevor actually mentions in this episode. And so we, we get the idea that the, the director figures all this stuff out and is able to, you know, calculate all these potential futures and everything and then pick the one that, that that's right. But I think you, you boil it down to is that they're, they're still human beings. Right. And, you know, for McLaren, the idea of shooting a kid is still very difficult for him, you know, though he's prepared to do it. Um, you know, th- this idea of, of 
you know, taking out people is, is not easy for them to do, I guess, despite their professional status. Right. All right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Philip is the one that receives the order to kill Alexander. And yeah. McLaren ends up taking it on because, of course, they find Philip lying on the floor. Uh, has he tried to kill himself? Yeah, that's I, that's I'm still trying to figure out like what what what's going on? like that is like you see a needle on the floor. Yes. So has he regressed here? Is he is he gone back to heroin or you know it, like they never tell us. They they just find them and they they resuscitate him. But I mean, am I wrong that they never really tell us like what was going on with Philip and everything? No, and, and I do like the open endedness of that. So whether he was trying to kill himself because he couldn't cope with his role in all of this, or whether he just used the heroin as a temporary coping device which that's the angle i'm going with that i don't feel like he would have tried to kill himself but he did self-medicate and perhaps just took too much or perhaps they just found him and he's just zonked out from the heroin but yeah but yeah Yeah. as you said we don't find out now the big problem i have here is that we're, we're dealing with essentially one simple act of kindness and they're asking us to believe that that was enough to prevent alexander from turning into i guess a serial killer is what the intimation is well i i think the right absolutely it is um but i think also from that single act of kindness they found him a different foster home and so there are all these resultant actions uh, because McLaren's time spent with Alexander, that I think are, are really what apparently changed him. Okay. All right. Now the opening scene, you know, we see McLaren waking from a bad dream that's got an association with the mission to save Alexander back in season one. He finds a text from Marcy to come by her place then we see Carly cleaning her house in preparation of moving out. And she finds that stuffed animal behind the couch. So the episode really is focused primarily on the transformation of Alexander, but we do have that little companion piece of Carly dealing with baby Jeff going into foster care. And I really think that's nicely done, even though we just see three brief scenes, really. Yeah. Three brief scenes because Carly's then parked outside of that couple's home and she's using her scope to spy on them. Now, ordinarily we might think she's scoping them out to kill them, but we immediately get the sense that, Oh, I'll bet this is baby Jeff's foster couple. And and of course that's what it turns out to be. You know, uh, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times how, you know, she, not, not that she should be relieved, but that certainly her role as, you know, as a you know, basically a professional soldier makes it very difficult for her to, to be a, an effective mother. Um, and that while in her brain, uh, she really has zero connection with this kid because she's not the original mother. I believe there is a 
you know, biological element to, uh, you know, to, to motherhood and to parenthood. And so, you know, her host body would certainly be feeling that, uh, that biological maternal impulses that, you know, she wouldn't be able to, to de- deny that. So it is still, you know, while, you know, in a pragmatic level, you might say, all right, well, she's, you know, probably going to be better able to be a more effective soldier now. Um, on a on an emotional level, obviously, it's very difficult. Well, right, and we never really knew whether the missions would end and Protocol 5 would kick in, assume the life of your host, and that she would then live out the rest of her life as baby Jeff's mother. And, right. you know, perhaps she anticipated that happening as well. But I really do like what they did here because – she finds that stuffed animal behind the couch, puts it into a small box, tapes it shut, and then she goes to the closet to reveal her secret arsenal, which, <laughs> as you said a second ago, while she's going to really mourn the loss of having baby Jeff around her all the time, this is really why she's here. And to see that arsenal hidden in the home where the child is eventually going to get to the age where he could go into that closet. He could sure. access one of the weapons. And I, I think that was really well done. And it, and it didn't strike me the first time I watched it. So now, obviously, the bulk of this episode is about Alexander and McLaren. And you know, as you said, the the search to find out what the heck happened. And I love the fact that he's so good at what he does and they even recognize, well, this is the first time McLaren's had to essentially go up against himself. Right. And they're marveling at how quickly he's put the clues together. And I think it's Trevor that says, well, I guess that's why he's the boss. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like kind of going back to the organization and format of this, you know, like I said, I, I kind of like the, the quote unquote hangover uh, blueprint here. The problem being he figures it out halfway through the episode, you know, like that's, it's supposed to take him the whole episode to chase himself down here. Um, And then in the end, he comes this big emotional moment where basically it's like halfway and he figures it out. And then the rest of the team comes in and says, Oh, let us tell you what happened. The rest, you know, like, you know, you know, basically he doesn't really, he just only kind of half discovers. He just basically takes a, he, he, what chased down, like what the lady in the restaurant and then the, the woods, uh, which I guess are the three main kind of parts of the story that, you know, um, but the, that should have really taken him the whole episode to, to, to do that rather than halfway. And then just Trevor comes in, fills him in on the rest. Right. Well, right away he goes to Marcy's because that's, what the text said to do. And then as soon as he leaves, they're wondering whether he bought it or not. And of course, right away we find out, well, no, because he goes to Boyd who examines him and tells him, Nope, someone's wiped your memory. And of course the question will why, but okay, that's protocol six, no inner team communication except in dire circumstances. Now I suppose McLaren could argue that, yeah, I just know something's wrong. Well, how do you know something's wrong? You just had your medical team member, Marcy, examine you and and 
her explanation seems to make sense. So here we go, breaking another protocol. All right. Right. Fine. That well, once you break one, then, uh, yeah. I know. And, and we love Boyd. So it's always good to see her, yeah. but you mentioned him tracking down the various points and, and he goes to his assistant and she's marveled that he's there on a Saturday with his hoodie. Uh, and she accesses his car's GPS record. And and I like the fact that immediately it comes up. Nope, your car never moved. But we've got a backup of the backup. And then he's got all of the GPS points. He can tell every point that the car stopped. So, you know, as you said, he, he ticks them off one by one. And at this point, the team realizes that's, in fact, what he's doing. I love this scene when Philip says, I don't think it's going to work. You don't know that, Marcy tells him. Do you? (laughs) Right. Yeah, that was (laughs) that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, you look at Philip when she says that and he kind of looks like, yeah, okay, I might kind of know. But obviously he can't tell. Yeah. So he drives to that water's edge, looks around and right away he notices. And of course, we noticed the, the previous tire tracks finds a sticky note with an address under the visor. And I'm thinking, all right, what's with the sticky notes all of a sudden? Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're they're, they're, uh, excellent use of a tool of communication there, Dave. Yeah, I know. I know. Now, Phillips at that uh, substance abuse meeting. And on the one hand, uh, he doesn't have a problem with substances anymore. I guess he goes there to cope with everything he knows. I'm a little curious why Marcy's with him. Why would she go to the meeting? Well, now this goes back to the the needle. Is is she making him go to this meeting because he's relapsed? Oh, good point. I didn't even think of that. Uh, Yeah, I didn't think of it until we we started talking about it just now, actually. But what I did like in that scene, we don't get an answer. She mentions that she has self-medicated from time to time. And, yeah, it seems like she refers to something that happened in in you know one of the seasons of Travelers, but I'm not sure. Well, right, because I my question in my notes, well, I don't recall seeing her self medicate. So is she referring to her life in the future that she self medicated? Because as far as we know, we we've seen her entire life in 2016 or. 2018 or whatever year this is supposed to yeah. be. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I just got to say with this particular scene, um, as I said last week, uh, you know, I'm really starting this like, cause the, the, the groups there. And of course the, there's a guy, Jimmy, who's the a-hole, right? Um, but again, why does it have to be the, the person of color that that's the, you know, the bad guy and the jerk, Right. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I, you know, it just seems like with a, there being mostly white characters in the show, when you have the few people of color that you have are, you know, negative characters, like, all right, showrunners, come on, well, let's, let's, uh, let's work this out. Yeah. Okay, let's, you know, I, I know what you're saying. And then the more I think about it though, you're like what 25 you're not a doctor you know it's almost like i I know what you're saying and it it is kind of rude on on one level but on the other hand 
being at these meetings is supposed to be about the truth, right? Opening up right. and laying out the truth. And on the one hand, I can understand him saying that because how can that possibly be true? And the reality is it couldn't be, you know, the Marcy's well, host bot 25. Come on. She couldn't be a yeah. doctor yet. Well, have, have you, have you not seen Doogie Hauser? <laughs> the good point. On, a good point. I have. <laughs> All right. Now we end up at that farm and I guess what we're supposed to assume is that living in this foster home is going to further degenerate Alexander, if you will, and keep him on that path to becoming a serial killer. And these two uh, adults, I mean, I don't get that vibe from them that I get the vibe that they're maybe not all touchy feely, but that we're giving you a home. It's a farm. There's other kids here. You know, uh, you can run around to your heart's content. It it doesn't seem like a bad place. I mean, we only see it briefly, but I, I that's my takeaway on that. Well, this is actually funny because I I had read an article more about the 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 need for empathy right and so while he, he's not being abused here he's also not necessarily being cared for like emotionally to the, that is like children um need uh this actually uh i think they did this experiment with like baby monkeys or something where they uh they they had like a, a like i can't remember what it was like a doll actually i think it was on this american life they like two different things that the, 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 the babies could kind of snuggle with. One had like a, like a, you know, soft towel around it. And the other was a piece of metal. And of course the, the babies, I'm, I'm mixing this up horribly. I know, but you know, it basically was showed the need for empathy. And so I think, um, and of course that's what a serial killer is decidedly going to lack, right? The inability to, to put themselves in another's position and to understand. Uh, so, you know, so while I don't think he's, you know, being necessarily abused or mistreated per se, he's also not getting love. Yeah. You know? Well, that's true. And I guess he's getting antagonized on some level by the other kids, the, the, the um, you know, the one kid, Oh, he's probably at his creepy clubhouse around and of course when we finally get a look inside it, it certainly is creepy uh, you know max stops at that diner as he's retracing his steps and the owner tells him he's heard about alexander hanging out in the woods messing with animals and i think most people understand that most serial killers begin by abusing animals first and that's when he finds that shell casing realizes it came from his gun and of course the confusion that he's feeling is increasingly evident but once he gets to the campfire digs up that jacket obviously he thinks he killed somebody and that's when the team comes in and trevor says stop i can explain and then we go back to 16 hours earlier uh, where right. we first find trevor uh, i'm sorry we first find philip unconscious on the floor with the the needle lying next to him you're you know bringing up the idea of a lack of empathy is really what the teacher brings up when mac talks to uh -huh. his school teacher and 
I would think he's getting it at least in her classroom. You and I have been in this game long enough, the education game, that is, that there are a lot of teachers that, that do lack that and probably should not be working with children. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But there, on the other hand, there are plenty that you know are mostly. Well, there are plenty that do, but you and I, again, we've had those kids, not that often, but that really are, I hesitate to use the word disturbed, but I think they are. And maybe it's in our personalities that we can make some kind of connection, not that we're going to say we put that kid on a better path, but I think at least we can feel like we did as much as we could with the time we had. Right. And, as much as you can with you know, right. five classes and 35 kids. All right. So. And. I think we get a little bit of that out of that teacher. The problem is the kid's probably not uh, facing a teacher period after period that, that has that empathy. But we do find out from her that this is his third foster home. <laughs> when they, uh, when Mac gets to the foster home and we learn, actually he's with Trevor at this point, And we learn that he's probably in his creepy little clubhouse. And the kid says, well, don't tell him I told you because I don't want to wake up with a squirrel head under my pillow. And that's how that's how the Canadian mafia does it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> uh, of course they go back there, and there are just dozens of dead and mutilated animals, both hanging and lying on the table. And Mac realizes right away that he's in there. I'm not sure how if he saw his eyes, you know, between. It, the, it seems like he saw his eyes, but yeah, yeah. But speaks to him in Romanian. And they drive away with him. On the one hand, I had this impression. It was almost not unlike luring a sick pet into the car, knowing that you're taking it to the vet to be put down. Yeah, right. Because, right, they know the uh, the missions, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there is, yeah, definitely that, uh, you know, that that level of pathos there that, that Mac is, uh, you know, clearly undergoing. Um as they, they you know they they you know pick up Alexander and they take him out to the woods and everything. So the the, the one the, you know obviously they're setting Alexander up as, to be some kind of serial killer, but you know we discover soon. I guess we could talk about it when we get this, but you know that he's not like mutilating animals. He's just you know like he's developing survival skills, right? I, I guess we would have to accept that, given what we see in the woods when he, you know, cooks the rabbit with, uh, with McLaren. Yeah. But, uh, you know, before we get to that point, you know, we talked last time about the historian updates and protocol two H, which apparently none of the rest of the team have heard of. And I guess when we go back to the meeting of the historians for the update, they're told not to tell anybody. So, so that makes sense. But Carly, realizes that he prevented her that that time from killing jeff and, and again don't take a life don't save a life so so right. I, I, again you know I, I hate to belabor the obvious but they're breaking this protocol three left and right well and that, i guess that's a big part of the you know the the point of, of this episode which we've seen in a number of occasions that you know that moral conundrum being in a position where you can 
save a life or be in a position where you have to take a life and, and making the, those, uh, human decisions, uh, that, you know, are, are, you know, it's easier said than done sometimes, I guess. Right. But you just said those human decisions and my understanding is that they've all bought into the grand plan and that they feel the director knows best. So now suddenly when they're placed in these situations where they've got the difficult call to make, well, suddenly I'm not trusting the director so much. Well, where did that come from? Now, Mac and Trevor stop at the diner with Alexander. And, and again, it, it has to strike you as they're stopping for his last meal, the way mm-hmm. a prisoner that's about to be executed. Yeah, right. Like, who cares if the kid's hungry, really, right? right. Like, and, you, you, you're just going to kill him in a little bit, so. Well, right. And then, in fact, when they go in and the owner of the diner is not welcoming at all to Alexander and Mac basically confronts him about not really understanding what it means to be hungry, which we assume is his experience in the future. Sure. And then Alexander says, well, I know where, where we can get food. It's in the woods. And all right, so now we know, okay, that's how they're going to get into the woods. But of course, once they get there, what transpires is totally unexpected. I mean, we first see that he's got multiple traps. And of course, we're, we've got to understand why is he doing this? Is he that hungry? Does he really not receive enough food from his foster parents? And I guess that's possible. Or is it, as you're saying, developing survival skills? But at that age, why would he think he needs to develop survival skills? Well, I, he said his you know, mother taught him how to do all this stuff. So, you know, I, you know, it seems like this was just something that he was taught. You know, maybe, you know, his experience being kidnapped has also affected this. But, but you know, I think the, the thing is, is it's not... It's not like psycho stuff. You know, he's not crazy. He's not. In fact, when he realizes they've um, accidentally trapped the coyote, he's very upset about that. You know, like, so a serial killer would not be upset by the death of the coyote or or, or the fact the coyote was trapped. Right. And then Mac, of course, shoots it. And we now know where the shell casing originated. Right. Which shouldn't have. Mac should have picked it up. Like, that's sloppy. Well, let's go back to how he noticed it in the first place, but that's another story. Um, But but he tells Alexander that the way people treat him is not his fault, apologizes for not staying in touch, and then he hugs him. Again, as you said at the beginning of the episode, and we've talked about this many times as we talk it out, maybe there's more to the episode than I first realized. And while I'm certainly not going above a B, you know, whether the B minus sticks for me or not, I'm not sure, but he cooks the rabbit and gives a piece to McLaren. Now we know McLaren is a hardcore vegan. Yeah. Right. He eats it anyway. Yeah. Best rabbit I ever had, which to me makes that scene 10 times more poignant because of the fact that that just goes against everything you know, that Mac feels about in terms of his diet. And we've talked about why he's still so hardcore, but so now. Yeah. So uh, just, uh, I need to interject here because did you, when, uh, when it was around, did you ever eat at Hausner's in uh, 
downtown in Baltimore? I, I didn't. My parents used to go there. Okay. Because they just made like this really killer Haas and Pfeffer. So <laughs> it just re- reminded me of that. No, I'm, I'm sure they didn't cook it over a, a steak, uh, you know, an open fire. Okay. You know, and, well, well, the next thing we see, Mac and Alexander are digging a hole ostensibly to bury the coyote, but I couldn't help but think that Alexander's digging his own grave and that Mac right. is still going to go through. Now, once he says he wants to cover the coyote with something, we have to start thinking, and I think this goes back to what you said a few minutes ago, that he really cares about the animals he kills he wants to say a prayer for the coyote. This is very Native American in, in terms of their understanding of the life they're taking, but it's for our survival. And Max standing behind him waiting, and you see him looking at the watch. It's like a minute mm-hmm. or two minutes. He pulls his gun out, and then that's when the messenger from Alexander tells him to abort the mission. Why? So, you know, this also kind of, I don't know, do you remember the um – because I know you did this prompt. We we took that bit from Cormac McCarthy's The Crossing. Do you remember that with the kid who uh, had the wolf, the dead wolf? He's taking it to be buried, and you know he sits by the fire and everything. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, with with this uh, little bit here of, with, as you said, the kid. Um, he's not crazy he's not you know killing animals for the joy of it he he kills uh as you know we said to like is developing these survival skills probably as you said to just to eat because he's hungry though even his foster parents said that he eats a lot so maybe you know he's just got like you know that kind of metabolism so so yeah we we, we get to this point now um mclaren is you know faced with this you know, decision now. Um, and I, I agree the, the hug is, is poignant, but as we kind of said with the food, like if, if you're, you know why you're here and you're here because you have to kill this kid. Why, why does McLaren do these things? Why does he bond with him? Why does he eat the rabbit? Like he, like you said, he's a, he's a total vegetarian. Why does he do all this stuff? It's, I don't know, it's almost not necessarily cruel to the kid, but to himself, you know, like probably what he, you know, I, I think not, I mean, you would think that someone in that position would be more distant and removed and not trying to bond with the person because you're going to have to kill him in a little bit. Okay. But now we go back and I agree with everything you just said. What caused the director to have a change of heart? Because we assume the director knows how everything's going to play out. They speculate, well, it's because Mac was standing up for him, changed the course of his future. All that's true. But Philip also speculates that it was a lesson for him because he was supposed to be the one to kill Alexander. And he speculates that the director was teaching him a lesson because of the different things that he has done with his knowledge and, and, you know, saved people at certain instances. So we don't really know, but Mac's realization that he was the one that ordered the memory inhibitor 
is kind of fascinating because on the one hand, he's now got to cope with the fact, not that I killed Alexander, but that I was going to. I was fully ready to do it. The argument that a few hours with a decent man was enough all right, fine. And, and, you know, you spoke about empathy and, and, and I agree, but doesn't that question the grand plan? Isn't McLaren now questioning the director, questioning the missions? Why would he not question every mission going forward now? Absolutely. And that's the thing to be an effective traveler. Like you said, you cannot question the, the grand plan you have to do what you're told and so you know that's why what what's with the the memory inhibitor yeah you were going to kill the kid because that's what the director told you and remember what you're there for you're there to try and prevent terrible thing happening to all of humanity so are you going to seriously you know put the life of one kid on the side of the scale of all of humanity on the other you know, like, so maybe it's difficult, but if you believe in the director and the grand plan, then, you know, you carry out the mission as, as you're told. Right. And, and then we see that scene where Philip and Trevor are looking at Alexander's new family. The mother speaks Romanian. Well, that wasn't the path he was on. And, and it caused me to think, well, why didn't they get a mission to change him? Right. At the beginning. Well, that's what I think Philip asked that, right? Yeah. 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 Now, the other thing is we don't see it, but we hear that Philip may be experiencing an alternate timeline involving Alexander. So what's that all about? Right. Because when they're leaving, he looks back to the, you know, where they, they buried the coyote and it looks like he sees something, but we don't see what he sees. Um, so yeah, definitely suggestive. Well, it was probably, I imagine he's seen the timeline where the director did not abort the mission. Yeah. And and then we get the, uh, I mean, there is a closing scene, but the, the final scene of this story, Mac comes home, empty house immediately goes to a bar and I love what he orders something with a high percentage of alcohol, (laughs) but he runs into Carly who tells him that she still sees glimpses of the man that she knew in the future. And I forget which one of them said this. Maybe it's him. We're not who we were. Yeah. And what I just said a few minutes ago about not trusting the grand plan any longer, not trusting the director. I think that again, it is rather telling. Yeah. We're not who we were. We, we don't believe all in on the grand plan that, protocols are going to be broken that it's going to happen so you know in in that sense i don't know i mean are you still feeling b minus or yeah i I don't know if i'm gonna anything we've talked about has changed yeah and i'm not sure but we get to the closing scene and dr teslia goes in to see ilsa and he's running a diagnostic thinks he detects something wrong and the machine tells him my capabilities have grown considerably. Yeah. Does it make you afraid? There's nothing to be afraid of said Skynet to the human race. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also there's, you know, did you catch what Ilsa asked Tesla? I'm not sure. 
She said you want to play a game of chess. Well, he always does that, right? I think at the beginning. Yeah, but that's like you know, like Joshua war games, right? Yeah, absolutely, right, right. So, but uh, but yeah, like yeah, don't don't worry, humans. It's all good. Just go back and watch television, and drink beers, and hang out. I'll take care. Of it. Yeah, especially when you see like she's got that like that uh, infrared imaging of him. You know that if he could see that, he probably would not say i'm not worried yeah now i i knew this because when michael and i interviewed jennifer spence back when we were doing continuum but i don't know how i didn't make the connection because i've even got it in my notes that the actor that plays dr tesley is ben ratner who's married to jennifer spence in real life oh i did not know that so anyway little tidbit Um, a little bit all right anything else you want to bring up before we hear what fred has well, just uh, the one thing I wanted to say about like being in the bar is that um, that that yes, you know, that that they are different, and that I think even Carly mentions this that because they are like just you know biologically different people now, um, that that has had an effect on all. We see both of them are in this bar because of the effect that their host body in the combination with their brain and the host body um, has led them here, you know, Grant, because he's estranged from his wife and Carly, because she had to give away her child. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we listen to what Fred has to say and we will come back and talk about it. So here's Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for travelers. Season three, episode three. First off, I really had to rewatch the season one episode called Alexander to understand the context of the first half of the episode. So instead of watching the whole episode all at once, I paused it halfway and rewatched the episode first. It was interesting to go back and to see, for instance, uh, the beginning of Marcy's and David's relationship, seeing Catherine still as the loving wife, and a less enjoyable Philip still as a full heroin addict. I am not happy with this episode, and for sure I won't give it an 8.7 as IMDb does. The first one-third of the episode was okay, but because we follow Grant in his scavenger hunt for the truth. We are as puzzled as he is, and are positively charmed by his deductive, clear way of thinking. Grant finds a grave in the woods and thinks that it is Alexander's grave and that he shot the kid following the director's orders. Then he is stopped by his team and Trevor tells him everything that happened the last few days. It proves that Grant had ordered the memory block for himself. Here come the first two weak points in the story. Knowing he did not shoot Alexander, why would he still need a memory block? It's just a twist to let us think for another 10-15 minutes that at the end he will kill the kid as ordered. And the second point, how could we as audience live with this series when our hero, though not perfect either, would have shot a kid in cold blood? The problem for Philip in the episode 3 of season 1 is that he has increasingly problems with knowing when people will die and that they won't interfere at all and that they don't save lives. 
Okay, what was the original Alexander story from season one? I found a nice summary written by Metachrome from December 2016 on the MetaWitches website. I will read some lines from it. Starting to quote from here. So Philip is seeing a child playing outside the team's headquarters and gets an idea. He calls the team to Carly's house and explains them that they have been given a new mission to rescue a kidnapped boy. The team chooses weapons and heads on to the farm where the boy is being held. McLaren and Carly question the kidnappers in the living room where Philip and Marcy go to the basement and look for the child. Trevor stays in the van. Philip digs in the basement chicken pen and finds the child's body. McLaren asks to speak to the couple's son since there were boy sneakers in the front hall. They call Patrick down. When the child enters the room, McLaren questions him in Russian. And the boy tells McLaren that he is kidnapped. Before the team can do anything else, the boy, whose name turned out to be Alexander, is taken over and delivers a traveler's message. Alexander is forced to tell McLaren to abort the mission, which would mean leaving him to die. That is creepy and unethical as hell, according to the writer of this summary. Everyone in the room starts yelling. In the chaos, Philip jumps in front of Alexander and refuses to leave him, and the three children, who will follow after him, to die. Shots are fired, the kidnappers are killed, and Philip is seriously wounded. The team cleans up any evidence that any of them were there other than McLaren. McLaren asks Alexander to lie about who was at the house. According to the writer of this article, Let's add lying a secret keeping to the kids' list of traumas, shall we? Great rescue, guys. The future must be a really terrible place if you think you would have been okay to set that kid up for a rescue, then just walk away in the middle of it, leaving him to die. Punish Philip for the breach in protocol by all means. But don't leave the child to die once you're standing right in front of him and have told him he is getting out. End of some quotes of this article, which is much longer. So, actually, this season 3 episode is not only story-wise an extension of the season 1 episode, but also topic-wise. Can you really always do nothing if you are witnessing somebody else's death? And, the other way around, can you kill somebody that survived due to your, and I'm making air quotes, illegal actions, but should have died? In that sense, the title of the episode is right. Protocol 3. Meaning, don't take a life, don't save a life, unless otherwise directed. Do not interfere. Third weak point of the episode. Just because Grant McLaren spent half a day with Alexander, this influences the child so much that he will not become what he otherwise would have become? A bit unlikely, don't you think so? If you look at the other series about time traveling, Timeless, you can see how resilient history is. In that series, they try to change history and it it comes back to what it originally should be. Okay, that was all for now. I will give the episode a 5.5 out of 10 or a D. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, I think you and I were... I don't want to say feeling bad about 
assigning a B minus to this episode because we love the series so much. But damn, Fred's a tough grader. Yeah, he is. He's he's very very tough. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. That, now he mentions going back and watching the Alexander episode from season one and and noticing you know the the genesis, if you will, of Marcy and David's relationship at least as it it has evolved once she's no longer intellectually challenged Catherine as the loving wife of course you know, none of these things have happened to her and uh you know Philip as a a heroin addict but he brings up a couple weak points and i think now that we've talked it through and and your bringing up the idea of the empathy really ha- has changed my feeling on that but but you know he does bring up you know, is it too much to believe that this simple act would be enough to put him on a path? And I think it's not just that act with Mac. And that's what caused me to think it at first. It's it's also being placed in a new foster home, a foster home that just because she speaks Romanian has to really uh, enable her to make a, a, a more solid connection with him than, than any right. other foster parent was able to yeah absolutely um yeah we talked about before and everything so uh, but yeah i I think that he was you know alexander is not just the one act but you know the fact that now he's in a a place where he can uh receive uh love and and uh close you know a close relationship with parents so i I, um you know another thing I, i would say that they I mean, obviously the kid changes, but they also kind of miss the window because developmentally, once a child is at a certain age, they have either, you know, bonded with a parent and made those or gained that ability to empathize or they have it. But of course, his mother is just seemingly just recently died, right? Yes. Yes. So, so he probably did have that relationship earlier with him so developmentally you know he actually probably was okay all along well yeah because we we certainly get the idea that he had a strong bond with his mother because the fact that she's the one that taught him those skills and you could really hear the pride when he was telling mclaren that it was his mother that taught him how to do those things now fred brings up the fact that mclaren uses the memory inhibitor even knowing that he did not shoot the kid. So I I think the fact that he was ready to and would have. But again, you're supposed to be. I understand that. Why does he need the – I agree with Fred on this one. I don't see why he needed the memory inhibitor really at all. Well, and he also – and this is something I really didn't think about. As a member of the audience, are we going to be okay with our protagonist – being somebody that put a bullet in the back of a 10 year old boy's head. Exactly. And on on the one hand, we understand that look, it's the whole thing. If you could go back and kill Hitler when he was a kid, would you? And so we get that. But, but as Fred points out, that is a lot to ask your audience to deal with. So I think the way that they did it makes us recognize that, you know, it almost happened. It didn't, but it's still going to have you know, a pretty significant impact on 
the character that uh, that did it. So um, let's see what else. Um, I guess Fred's grade, which is pretty low, I think it works out to uh, yeah. He gave us the equivalent <laughs> equivalent uh, in in the Netherlands and and uh, the UK as well. So yeah, he's basically right. given it a D, right? A, a five. Yeah, he gave it a D. Yeah. So um, Fred. I'm glad you're not my teacher, at least in terms of grading. It pr- it'd probably be pretty interesting to have you uh, as a teacher. But when it came time to give, well, I, you know what? I just have my mother call you and force you to change my grade. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that's we'll cool. have a meeting with uh, Fred and the principal and the guidance counselor. And- <laughs> Hopefully the guidance <laughs> counselor would be Grace. But Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, anything else you want to mention about Fred's feedback? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. That's good. All right. Uh, Fred, thank you. Uh, as always, appreciate that you were able to fit us in. I guess that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Travelers, Haunting of Hill House, which we will be returning to. Anything else in genre TV, encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community, and you're already a member spread the word emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week to take a look at season three episode four of netflix time travel series travelers but until then you know dave uh, for the record i knew this wasn't going to work <laughs> <laughs>